Welcome to the Brighter Side of Ed podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Richardson-Hassler, here to enlighten and brighten the classrooms in America through focused conversation on important topics in education. In each episode, I discuss problems we as teachers and parents are facing and what people are doing in their communities to fix it. What are the variables and how can we duplicate it to maximize student outcomes? In this episode, I focus on curriculum as a variable. Our nation's report card, NAEP, shows that 60% of high school graduates are unprepared for post-secondary training or schooling, and that racial and socioeconomic achievement gaps persist despite large-scale federal, state, and local reform initiatives aimed to improve student performance. So how do we change that? Well, recently, the Johns Hopkins Institute for Education Policy reported how Studies identifying comprehensive, content-rich curriculum as a critical factor in student academic success was the common feature of academically high-performing countries as measured by the Program for International Student Assessment, PISA. So what is this curriculum, and why does it work so well? Here to discuss curriculum in education is Natalie Wexler. She is an education writer and board member of the Knowledge Matters Campaign's parent organization called Standards Work. She is the author of The Knowledge Gap, The Hidden Cause of Americans' Broken Education System and How to Fix It, published in 2019, and co-author with Dr. Judith C. Hockman of The Writing Revolution, Advancing Thinking Through Writing in All Subjects and Grades, published in 2017. She's also a senior contributor to the education channel on Forbes.com. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you, Lisa. I'm delighted to be here. Before we begin, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself as an education writer and what the Knowledge Matters campaign is? Sure. Um, So I've been writing about education for maybe the last 10 years or so. And um, as you mentioned, I've written those or co-authored uh, those two books. Um, and I'd like to say that uh, the area of my interest is um, literacy, cognitive science, and fairness. It's kind of sums it up. Um, and I also do have a Substack, a free Substack newsletter called Minding the Gap, if people are interested um, in subscribing. And the Knowledge Matters campaign, um, I'm, I'm glad you asked. It is um, an organization that's been around for some years now, maybe five, six years. But um, I think recently it's uh, it's really been doing some great work, shining a spotlight on the importance of content-rich knowledge-building curriculum. Um, and there is a wealth of information at the knowledgematterscampaign.org website, uh, everything from articles that go into, you know, lesser or greater depth on these things, but also videos of interviews with teachers, parents, uh, accounts of what goes on in classrooms that are using this kind of curriculum that can really be transformative. Um, and, and it's particularly focused on the elementary level and mostly on literacy. Yeah. So um, going back to your, uh, your, your most recent book, um, and the hidden cause of Americans' broken education system and how to fix it. What do you believe is the cause to our broken education system, and how do you recommend it be fixed? Well, uh, I mean, of course, it's a bit of an oversimplification. There are lots of factors, <laughs> but I do think yeah, this is a fundamental one that has been overlooked, um, which is that um, really has to do with the way we go about 
trying to teach kids to read. Um, and there are two basic components to that. And one is just teaching them how to decipher or decode words. And there have been a lot of problems with the way we've gone about that. That's been getting a fair amount of attention lately. You know, people may have heard a lot about the need for more phonics or a more systematic approach to phonics instruction. And that's, that's important. But what I mostly focused on and what the book mostly focuses on is our approach to the other aspect of reading, which is comprehension, which is huge. um, And (laughs) really is very different from decoding words. And, um, the way that the, the standard approach to that to reading comprehension instruction, which takes up a lot of time in the school day in elementary school, is to see it as a set of skills and strategies like finding the main idea or making inferences. And the theory is mm-hmm. that you can just teach these skills in the abstract and have students really pra- practice finding the main idea on texts that are easy for them to read on random topics, because it doesn't really matter what they're reading as long as they're practicing the skill, and that that will equip them to find the main idea of pretty much anything that's put in front of them. But cognitive science has found that that is really not the way that reading comprehension works. It has much more to do with knowledge, uh, either knowledge of the topic or general academic knowledge and vocabulary than with some kind of abstract skill. Yeah, I would say that as as a teacher, that was definitely the way I was trained to teach reading uh, comprehension in first and second grades when I did that over the last 20 years. And um, it was always something that was um, kind of, I didn't like, um, only because uh, along with other teachers, we would always go, oh my gosh, like we're behind. The story of the week is is this, this week. And, and it was um, immense amount of uh strategies and skills that were packed into the week. It wasn't just one. Uh, we were up to five a week. And so when you think of oh, wow. five <laughs> skills and strategies to help with reading comprehension in one week, it was uh, ridiculous. And it was it was too much for us. I could imagine what it was like for kids. And so it was a lot of cyclical things where you would come back to the main idea and go, okay, we're doing this one again, but chunked into mm-hmm. units and you would come back to those skills and strategies. But it was always just felt like it was, um, it, I, I would agree that disjointed abstract, we're teaching this skill. It happens to be with this story of the week. And um, I know that uh, as a teacher and, and my colleagues as well um, did not, care for that uh, system. We felt as though it was not um, a really great way to do it. So I'm glad that that's been recognized. And I like the idea (laughs) of what you were talking. Yeah, it's it. And I and I think that that would be a relief for some uh, teachers to hear actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, Mm -hmm. there's a better way because I think that's something that we struggled with as well as the students. And so how to be able to constantly like it was almost every day. Okay, we're going to do this one skill. And then the next day, we're remembering about this one, but we're going to focus on this skill. And like mm-hmm. I said, it was cyclical. So it was, it was an ongoing issue. So I'm glad that, uh, that there's been some focus on it. And, um, yeah. and so I was gonna, that leads me to my next question, and that is, um, what is curriculum? And can you describe what, what is a knowledge-based curriculum? And I have to say mm-hmm. that this is stemming from, there's a lot of conversation and debate over what really is curriculum. And a lot of people have different ideas as to what that is. So I would love your expert opinion on this. Yeah, no, I um, I think that's a good question because it's a slippery term, means different things to different people. Um, I would say it is um, 
you know, a, a, a collection of a, a, a well-organized sequence of instructional materials, uh, both for teachers and for students that take ideally take students through a logical sequence of um, learning so that when they are supposed to be learning the next thing in the curriculum, the curriculum has already built the background knowledge they need to learn whatever is expected for them to learn next. And that's, you know, but there are all kinds of curricula out there. There are curricula that focus on these uh, reading comprehension skills that we just talked about. And then uh, there are curricula that the kind that I would advocate that focus on content on, on and on building academic knowledge and vocabulary. And yeah. I would say that if, in the elementary literacy world, um, those ki- that kind of curriculum didn't exist until maybe five or six years ago, really. Um, and now there are about half a dozen of them, and and they are described uh, in you know at some length in the at the Knowledge Matters campaign website. If people want to know, you know, what are these different curricula and what do they do and they all cover different bodies of knowledge in different ways. So there are uh, choices for schools out there, but um, but they all have, I'd say, a couple of things in common. These knowledge building curricula or knowledge based, whatever you want to call it. One is that they are organized by topic rather than by the skill, skill of the week, skill of the day, whatever. Yeah, and they spend at least two or three weeks, and sometimes much more, on a on a Rich topic, you know, it could be sea mammals. It could be uh, I, one of these curricula sp- spends time on the War of 1812 in second grade. And the kids love that. I can, I, I know most American adults are like, what's that? Or, you know, wow, 1812, <laughs> right? But yeah. Um, but they've already gotten the, the back when they've already, if, if they've gotten this curriculum since kindergarten, they've already learned about the colonial era and the American Revolution. They understand all of the issues in the War of 1812. So it's not like, boom, here's this war and you don't even know what Great Britain is. You don't really know what America is. But in addition to that, um, spending time on a topic, and that's important, by the way, because for kids to retain vocabulary and information and long-term memory, they need to hear the same vocabulary, the same concepts repeatedly in different contexts. So you, you can't, you know, this current approach, we focus on skills, so we're just jumping, you know, from topic to topic. Um, clouds today, zebras tomorrow, doesn't give kids an opportunity to retain that information. And the other thing that these knowledge building curricula have in common is that they give all students in a classroom access to the same complex text. So grade level or above grade level text, text that these children might well not be able to read themselves. Um, And that's really important because the best way, the most effective way to build academic knowledge and vocabulary in the first instance before kids are fluent readers is through reading aloud and discussion. And once kids through the reading, read alouds and discussion, once they have vocabulary knowledge about a topic in long-term memory, then they can read at a higher, you know, studies have shown they will be able to read at a higher level and write at a higher level about that topic. Once they've once they've acquired the knowledge through read alouds and discussion, so the, those things read alouds and discussion of complex text with a focus on the content and questions that focus on the content rather than this, putting the skill in the foreground that's really crucial. Yeah, I was 
I was looking at um, one of your um, articles that you had had linked in your newsletter, talking a little bit about that, saying that um, that learners with, that are learning about a new topic need explicit instruction with teacher-led, but plenty of interaction between the teacher and the students, working far better than the student-directed inquiry or mm-hmm. discovery, and having that factual information about a topic stored in long-term memory is actually what enables enables people to think critically about it. So that would boost comprehension. So I could see that that was definitely um, a a good point, uh, a good aspect of the knowledge-based curriculum. And then going back to um, the, you mentioned the war of uh, 1812 for second Mm -hmm. grade. And I know some of our listeners may think, wow, 1812 in second grade, like doesn't that come in high school or something? But actually I was looking at the, um, as, as part of that CKLA knowledge inventory and so I was wondering about that myself being in second grade and, and then first grade so long, like, you know, do they have the other? And they most definitely do, because going back to like, I'm um, looking at pre-K, it talks about important people in American history. And in, in uh, kindergarten, there's colonial towns and townspeople, presidents and American symbols. Um, and so Columbus and pilgrims and in first grade. So you're, you know, early world civilizations and early American uh, civilizations, it's all building on each other. So you're building that that knowledge base. So by the time they're coming into second grade, they have a, a firm understanding of what would lead to that. And so it's yeah. it's not just like um, this disjointed abstract information we're throwing at them. They would really have the base of knowledge already there. So yeah. I just thought that that was, that was fantastic. Yeah. Because I had wondered, like, do they get to the American symbols? Of course, <laughs> and of course they do. But you know, but earlier, yeah. and so I think that's that's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, how how is a knowledge based curriculum then uh, different than a skills based curriculum? And I think you already had talked a little bit about how that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, it, as the focus on, and it's not that you can never ask kids. So, what's the main idea here? Or you know, right. can you you know? But it's it's not that you know you put the you're, we're teaching the skill and we'll bring in some text to teach the skill. Rather, it is we're teaching this content, this uh, subject, and you know maybe ask a question about the content that implicitly requires kids to make an inference or a prediction or whatever. Um, right. And using uh, one other thing I'd like to mention is to use writing uh, to. Um, help kids get at those deeper understandings. And, and writing is very hard, so it has to be done carefully. But yep. if, if, you, uh, if you do sequence it carefully, writing can be a really powerful um, supplement to, I mean, or it's usually built into these curricula that they have students mm-hmm. writing about what they're learning, which uh, strangely, we often don't do in the standard approach. We often have a separate writing curriculum where kids are writing about some topic that they may not know very much about. And it's right. it's, real, it's hard to read about a topic you don't know much about, but it's really impossible to write about it. So what I've been told is that once kids have all this information, kids who were reluctant writers often become eager writers because they're, they're really excited about it and they want to they wanna show what they know and explain it to a reader. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things is when you give a writing assignment to a student and they look at the piece of paper and they're going, I don't know where to begin or or I don't know what to write about. But if they have that base of knowledge, then they have that critical, um, those those critical thinking skills already 
um, you know, develop based on the deep questions, based on the conversation, the the higher um, context and, and text. So they're able to um, to think about those those ideas and maybe um, be start to percolate their own opinions on them, which would lead them to maybe more questions and then have some ideas of, of better topics to be writing about. So I would see that it, it gets them a little bit more excited about it as well, especially if you can stay on a topic for a couple of weeks at least. Then they they don't feel like they have to race to get to the next week with the next topic or this is an old one and maybe um, doesn't uh, flow or fit as well into the picture. So I think that when used with um, the knowledge-based uh, uh, curricula, that could kind of um, support it a little bit better. So that's, mm-hmm. that's exciting yeah. to hear. And I know that's really what your second book is about. I mean, well, mm-hmm. I wrote, I said your second book, but your first uh, book is on the writing. And is, it is that really where that focus is on those skills and how writing is an important part of comprehension. Yeah, an important part of learning. And I, I want to mm-hmm. make clear that it's uh, the method that's described in that book, The Writing Revolution. It's also the name of an organization that provides training in the method. Oh. It's not my method. It uh, was developed by my co-author, Judith Hockman, uh, who's a veteran okay. educator and developed it over many years. And it's not, a, it's not a curriculum. It's a method that's designed to be adapted to any content at, at, that, that is being taught at any grade level. Um, mm-hmm. But it really, um, you know, writing helps to, you have to, first of all, start with some knowledge of what you're writing about. Right. That's, a, that's a requirement. But in the process of writing, we ideally deepen and and cement that knowledge uh, in long term memory and come to a, a better understanding of what it. I mean, we are when we're writing, we're constantly making connections, we're making inferences, we're finding the main idea and details, we're doing all of those things, but in a much more powerful way than sitting and reading some simple book on a topic we may not know anything about and supposedly practicing finding the main idea. But it is um, really, as I mentioned, writing is really hard. I think we've, it's probably the hardest thing we ask kids to do in school. Um, And so it's easy for inexperienced writers to become overwhelmed if we just ask them to write. So one of the um, fundamental principles of the writing revolution is um, we need to modulate that heavy cognitive load that writing imposes on working memory, which is uh, a way of saying it's really hard, right? Yeah. And if writing is hard, then writing at length just makes it harder. So one of the yes. principles is to modulate that cognitive load by starting writing instruction at the s- sentence level, if that is yeah. what students need, and embedding it in the content they're writing about. And eventually, you know, the method gets through argumentative essays. It doesn't stop at sentences, but that sentence level work is crucial for laying the foundation for later independent writing. Excellent. Recently, we've been hearing a lot of uh, discussion about the science of reading, the explicit um, instruction in phonics. But what are some of the key differences between what cognitive scientists have discovered about the process of learning, including the science of reading, um, and the way most educators have been trained? Yeah, I mean, I would just take a minute to say that the, the science of reading, that that's a term. It's like, you know, a lot of these terms in education, it's starting yeah. to mean different things to different people. And um, often it is, you know, defined as sort of mostly in reference to phonics. It's kind of, I, I don't, not saying that science of reading advocates have said phonics is all there is to reading, 
They don't mm-hmm. say that. They say, yes, comprehension is important too. But the focus has been on problems with phonics or foundational skills instruction. And this, there's a growing assumption, I think, out there, which is dangerous, that that's the only thing we need to change about our approach to literacy instruction. Um, and in fact, if you look at the science of reading or the science of learning more broadly, mm-hmm. There are a lot yeah. of things wrong, as we've just been discussing, with our approach to comprehension as well. And I think some of the um, the misconceptions about what the science of reading actually says come from the National Reading Panel report, which um, okay. was issued in 2000. And it's great on the, the phonemic awareness and phonics side, um, but it's it's often seen. So they they define these five pillars of early literacy. You may have seen this infographic that looks Mm -hmm. like a Greek temple with five pillars, Mm -hmm. phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. And all of that report talks about in the section on comprehension is teaching comprehension strategies. And so the assumption has been, well, that's all you need to do for comprehension under the science of reading. In fact, what that panel asked when it came to comprehension was not how can we help kids understand what they read? It was a much narrower question. It was, is there evidence that teaching comprehension strategies works? And they found, yes, there was evidence. But that doesn't mean that that's all you need for kids to be able to understand. And they didn't mention anything about background knowledge or becoming familiar with the complex syntax of written language. That just wasn't what they were looking at. It doesn't mean those things are not important. And so I think we have to look at uh, beyond this sort of narrowly defined idea of the science of reading to understand how we can help kids comprehend, especially comprehend complex text. Um, And so there's a lot that we can draw on from cognitive science generally. And these studies, you know, a a number of studies have found that, uh, for example, the baseball study um, is one of them, knowledge of the topic is going to be more important in understanding a text than general reading comprehension skill or ability. And and this was done with kids, some of whom were poor readers, according to a standardized test, but they were baseball experts. And it turns out when they were reading about baseball, they did really well understanding what they were reading, better than the good readers who didn't know much about baseball. And it's not just topic knowledge. It's general academic knowledge and vocabulary, the more of that you have, the better your chances of understanding anything you're asked to read. So what are some cognitive science strategies that teachers can incorporate into their current practices to promote learning? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, um, because these are not things that teachers learn during their training. Um, There's been this, you know, it's a systemic problem. It's not like anybody wants to make teachers' jobs harder than they need to be. But that's, in fact, what's happened, because um, there's been this divide between schools of education and teacher prep programs on the one hand, and what goes on in departments of psychology and, you know, cognitive psychologists in in the same university who are studying the learning process, these two groups don't communicate. And so what teachers are often... trained to believe um, often contradicts what cognitive psychologists have found will work. So uh, one of the strategies that cognitive scientists have found really is is helpful for learning for teaching is called retrieval practice. 
Um, and that's just the idea that if you, the more you practice retrieving a certain item of information, the more likely you are to be able to retrieve it when you need it. And, and this is, it is important because when we're learning things, when we're learning new things, that imp- had, imposes a burden on working memory called cognitive load because working memory is very limited. It can only juggle maybe four or five things for about new items for about 20 seconds before it starts to get overwhelmed and we don't have the cognitive capacity to understand what we're trying to take in. But if you have stuff stored in long-term memory and you can just bring it out when you need it, you don't have to juggle that in working memory and you have space for understanding more new information. So retrieval practice could be like quizzes uh, after students have learned something, you know, not, not a quiz to give them a grade, but a low stakes quiz just to mm-hmm. help reinforce that information in their memories and get it to stick. And um, it doesn't, you know, even if you get the wrong answer, just the the effort of trying to retrieve it is helpful. Of course, you should be told what the wrong, what the right answer is. Um, right. You do need that feedback. And writing is another form of retrieval practice. If it's mm. done in a way that modulates cognitive load, that can be extremely effective. Um, there are also things like spaced practice. So you don't want to just study things like cramming before an exam doesn't work as well as spacing out, you know, doing a little bit each day. And along with that, there's something called interleaving, which is sort of, you know, once you've taught one concept, you don't, it's a good idea to bring that back in, bring in concepts that have already been taught and mix things up a bit. Um, so that, you know, again, it, it reinforces those things in long-term memory, but there's much more about this. I can recommend a, a website called learningscientists.org. I think it's .org. Um, and they have, it's, yes, learningscientists.org. And th- they have, um, I think six different strategies that they talk about. It's really directed at students primarily, but you know, these things are all, they require some effort. So students, especially younger students who may not be surfing the internet, they may not do these on their own. Uh, And I think really uh, teachers need to be aware of them because teachers can have students do them and students will benefit, uh, you know, even if they find it initially kind of a drag to have these quizzes or whatever. Um, I, I was listening to a college professor, professor of cognitive psychology who said she did this with her course in psychology. She had students do these low-stake quizzes after every class. And at first, they kind of grumbled about it. But then they saw it was really helping them learn. So they they thought it was a great idea. Yeah. You know, and that is something that I think, um, what is exit tickets sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, teachers can can yeah. do that. And that can be in a form of like low stakes testing, where it's just, you know, tell me what you remember about this. And it's just that retrieval. So I think that mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, some teachers already do that in the form of things mm-hmm. like exit tickets or even Kahoot quizzes. They really like those Kahoot um, clicker games, you know, where it's a mm-hmm. competition. And so that's a way that you can in- incorporate that. Um, where it's that retrieval process, but um, yeah, and so make it so that maybe they're more engaged, but but the long term effect is that they're going to be learning um, more 
and it's going to be in their their deeper long-term memory so that's that's exciting mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. um well thank you for that to wrap up the conversation just wanted to go back to those curriculum that you had talked about for those uh, listeners who might be admins or principals or even teachers that maybe are saying hey listen maybe we want to look at a different curriculum for this upcoming school year, what would you recommend they use knowing what you know about cognitive science and research? Well, I don't endorse any particular curriculum. I think, you know, it, it, there are different choices out there and they're going to be different ones that are right for different districts, different schools. Um, the, we've mentioned uh, Core Knowledge Language Arts, um, which is published by Amplify. Um, there's also a free version of it available at coreknowledge.org. The uh, it's a foundation that initially developed the curriculum, and it's it's basically it's the same curriculum. It's just if you go to the cornowledge.org website, you can download it for free, but you will have to print out all of the resources. But it's yeah. a great way to to see what is, what is in this curriculum, and 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 maybe try it out, try out a unit. And if you go to knowledge the Knowledge Matters campaign website, you'll see that the six there are five others in addition to CKLA that are described. The ones that I'm most familiar with, in addition to CKLA, there's one called Wit and Wisdom. And, and all of these have different, you know, as I said, cover different bodies of knowledge, have diff different aspects that might appeal to different schools. I think CKLA has the most historical content, kind of appeals to me because I have a background yeah. in history as a historian. Wit and Wisdom, um, one of the nice things about that curriculum is that it incorporates works of art students look at and discuss. Oh, nice. There's one called EL Education that um, has a more more of a project-based uh, approach and, and with deeper dives and they, they may they spend much more time. There are fewer topics. So CKLA might cover 12 different topics over the course of a school year and EL might cover just four. So, you know, you could have to figure out what it is would work best for you. And there's some others that that are quite good that you can read more about it, Knowledge Matter, the Knowledge Matters campaign. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. Sure. Okay. So here is the call to action as we wrap mm -hmm. up. Make curriculum a top priority. Follow the research. Use what cognitive scientists are telling us and look at what is successful around the world. Use a content-rich, knowledge-based curriculum to give students the best chance at learning to read and to ultimately have a better future. Thank you, Natalie, for joining me today to talk about the importance of using a knowledge-based curriculum in schools and for explaining how cognitive science plays a vital role in how we teach it. To learn more, visit her website at www.nataliewexler.com. That's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-W-E-X-L-E-R. And if you have a story about what's working in your schools that you'd like to share, you can email me at drlisarichardsonhassler at gmail.com or visit my website at www.drlisarhassler.com and send me a message. It is the mission of this podcast to shine light on the good in education so that it spreads, affecting positive change in schools. So let's keep working together to find solutions that focus on our children's successes. Mm -hmm.